Shia LaBeouf Podcast. This is episode 10, New York, I Love You, from 2008. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this is, I don't know if it's like a spiritual sequel to Paris Je T'aime, or I guess there's also, what, what did we say, that there's going to be like a Berlin I Love You coming out sometime uh, I think in a year a or two? think Rio as well. Rio I Oh, Love so it's a whole weird franchise of like sort of disconnected stories, I guess kind of the Gary Marshall holiday films, sort of, in a way, but like people don't really interact, but it's a, it's a weird little movie. This came at 10.40 a.m. in the All His Movies or All My Movies marathon, and Shia's only in the movie for about maybe seven minutes, but I do think, without bias because we're doing this, I think that his feels different from the rest of them, and I think that his is one of the, maybe the best in the bunch, and one of my like two or three favorites. Yeah, his definitely stands out. It's completely isolated from all the other stories. I mean, this is like a quasi-anthology, I suppose, where what they say, like, certain filmmakers just wanted to do some sort of, like, love letter to these different cities, and that's kind of what these are. They're not very connected, but they're loosely, some of them loosely overlap. My favorite ones are the ones that are much more self-contained. This is definitely the strangest one, you know, the biggest head-scratcher for me. It feels like it tries to be the most artistic. I'm not quite sure what's happening. I do <laughs> I do like it. I do like it. It's, it's not one of my favorites, but I do like it. So the only rules that there were for the directors in this movie there's i think there's something like 12 different directors there's like 12 writers 12 directors and they had three guidelines to hit they only had 24 hours to shoot they only had one week to edit and they had to have a sense of a particular neighborhood so the shia one is the upper east side you know there's a chinatown one there's all sorts of different feels about new york city different towns different boroughs whatever the brett ratner one i can't believe he filmed that this quickly that's my favorite one. Yeah, that's my favorite one, too. That's the Anton Yelchin, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Which he's kind of the... I don't know if he's the only... I don't know... If, I, mean, I need to look at this director's list again. I think Natalie Portman is the only other American director. So Natalie Portman did one. Scarlett Johansson did one that was cut oh. before the movie hit theaters, I think. Uh, it's apparently on the DVD Blu-ray as a bonus feature. I didn't watch that. That was like her directorial debut. This was Natalie Portman's directorial debut. Everybody else, I don't really know. It, it seems like a lot of foreigners, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. doing New York stories, which I guess is sort of the point. Like, I mean, they even say that in the Shia segment, right? That the woman's like, this is why I love New York, because nobody's from here. It's just sort of like this collaboration. So it's like all these outsiders. It would almost be, you'd almost expect a movie like New York, I Love You to be like Woody Allen and Spike Lee and Scorsese, yeah. you know what I mean? But like, it's not that. It's like the opposite of that. And like, there's, there's no way that that was accidental, right? No, no, I don't think so. Because I think like this all started with the Paris one. And, you know, that like has the Coen brothers in it, but I didn't recognize many other directors in that either. And this seems to be carrying on a tradition of trying to find a unique perspective through sort of like a foreign filmmaker's eye of a foreign country, right? So I, 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 that's what I was sort of getting at. Like, this is sort of maybe just one big art project that everybody was doing together to just express their love of film and their love of the city. And it's definitely strange because... Yeah, like I get a lot of different vibes that I'm not used to. Um, just directorial styles and other types of um, styles. It's just it. Like I liked it to that degree, but I kind of didn't like it just because it just kind of felt a little too scattered, a little too esoteric at times. Perhaps like hard to follow, or you know, striving for meaning even in other moments and stuff. I don't know. I, maybe there's too many stories going on, and if it, they had narrowed it down a bit more, it, I might have enjoyed it more. But as it is, like it's definitely an interesting film. You know, there's nothing quite like these I Love You films in that sense. I don't really... Have you seen Parisia Tim or no? I think I 
mean, I remember talking no. to you about it. But okay. So that no. one, I think there's, I feel like there's more segments and they're more isolated. Like, I don't think that there's crossover at all. Like, here there's, like, you know, the Bradley Cooper thing sort of tries to weave yeah. things together a little bit, and I feel like that's new. I mean, I haven't seen Parisia Tem in close to 10 years, probably. I think I saw it in theaters when it was out, and not since then. So I don't really remember exactly. This feels like it tries to be a little bit more coherent and sort of weaving everything together. There's that one that's probably only like 90 seconds long where it's the couple walking down the street and the girl's just like chewing him out from never going anywhere then he buys plane tickets and that's it. And then there's ones that feel like the Shia one's probably close to 10 minutes. That's probably one of the longer ones I would think. I feel like it doesn't know what it wants to be and so you sort of have to take each segment on its own and it's almost just like a bunch of short films that are just put together as opposed to like a feature length film. Yeah, and I wish they had tried and stuck with the more isolated storyline as opposed to weaving it together like they seem to try to do because it doesn't really feel natural that like it just feels coincidental that these, this character has to bump into that character it's like Crash the movie Crash where it's just like oh it's like all such a coincidence that we're following everyone who knows each other and I almost wonder if that was just to sort of market the movie better or get people into the movie you know they tried like you said maybe try and make it feel more like a movie and less like a series of short films you know it, it kind of reminds me a little of um was it uh four rooms where yeah. you have the bellboy going between all the different rooms and stuff but um but that movie's there, a disaster is, anyway like yeah and i almost feel like that would have been better if there was no bellboy connecting all the stories and quickly just want to mention there's a movie that scorsese woody allen and coppola did make about new york where it is just they each do a short film. I believe it's called New York Stories. Okay. And that's what I thought I was getting into here, where we were just going to get, uh, you know, a couple 15-minute short stories about New York. And, and that does... I do like the way that plays, because they completely ignore each other, you know? They just do their own thing, and they're all little complete short films. Uh, and like I said earlier, for me, the ones that worked best were the complete ones. Like the Natalie Portman one that she directed with the father, and that's the dancer, but taking the little girl to the park for the day. I thought that was a nice one. And um, yeah. like the Anton Yelchin one that we mentioned. So the ones that were more standalone definitely worked better for me. Because what's weird, like I wish it was more like New York Stories, which I haven't seen, but based on your description, or like, you know, ABC's A Death or the VHS movies where it's just like, maybe if it was more recognizable directors they would do this, but I sort of wish that like after a story ended, we cut to a title card and just said like written by, directed by. Because here, like you're sort of trying to keep in mind characters from like other ones that might bleed over and like you're waiting sort of the whole time. The movie's sort of putting too much not like it's too much work to watch it, but, like, you have to sort of keep track of, like, 40 different actors, and they're all, like, prominent mm. actors because there's no beginning or end to any of their stories, really. Yeah, I almost felt like it was a detriment that all these actors were very well-known people, like Ethan Hawke is showing up here, and Orlando Bloom has a segment, and, and, a, and it's a bombardment at points for me where I was like, I, I think this would have been easier to follow if these people were less famous. You know, maybe, like, the directors, like, if they had used stars that I had never heard of before, Mm -hmm. from their other countries, perhaps, or something like that. I, I agree. It, it feels overbearing, much like New York can, I suppose, at times. But I strive at times to wonder what the ultimate point was, if they're just, you know, having fun and doing it just for the sake of it, or if they're trying to strive for some deeper meaning. And for me, that's where it kind of loses it. Like with the Drea DiMatteo episode with Bradley Cooper, when they're meeting up and you're just hearing their inner monologues uh, and I was just like man this just isn't working for me like whatsoever like they're just Ugh. moments and segments like that one that just completely pull me out of it and I'm just thinking like ooh I don't know if I mean I didn't know there was like time constraints but I also was like I'm not sure if they even had a clear idea of 
what they wanted or wanted to get. You know, regarding the Shia segment, I might not understand what's going on, but I could definitely say, like, this director knew what he wanted, and I have a sense that he captured exactly what he wanted to get out of it, you know? Like, it feels like one of the more confident ones. Well, what's weird about that segment is that the guy who was directing it died. The segment Upper East Side was to have been directed by Anthony Minghella, who was the guy who wrote it, who passed away shortly before its filming. Anthony himself asked Shakar Kapoor to replace him in their last conversation. After Anthony's death, Shakar wrote in his blog, I will direct the film now with Anthony in my heart and in presence of his soul. The film is dedicated to Mingela at the beginning of the closing credits. It's interesting that, like, I don't get a sense of the timeline, really, but it seems to me that the one guy, like, wrote it and planned to direct it and then, you know, got sick or something and then passed it off to this other guy. So it does work... I think kind of beautifully hand in hand that whether this sort of dreamlike state is the new director's vision or was the division all along or whatever, in a way like it feels the most European of all the shorts, mm-hmm. which I think is why it stands out. But like, it's also the only one maybe where somebody dies. Is Shia the only one who dies in this movie? <laughs> I believe so. And and this is yet, I think the third episode where there's a dead Shia on screen, right? Like he, he dies, there's a version of him that dies in Eagle Eye and then he dies in Fury. And so now he's, and he dies in Trans- Transformers 2. So this is the fourth Shia death so far in all his movies. All these segments sort of have a basis in reality of some form, but then in this one, like, everything seems weird. Like, it seems like it's a hotel out of, I don't know, like, 60 years ago, and Mm -hmm. is like this, like, hunchback who's never left the building, and then he dies, and then a guy floats in from the window and is like, should I close the door? And the woman's like, yeah. (laughs) Like, nothing about that segment makes any sense, but it's just, it's kind of wonderful, because I'm glad that the reason we're watching this movie, like, for this one segment, is the most interesting one. Whether it's well done or interesting, like, you know, I I don't know whether it's, like, good or bad or likable or not, but, like, I think it's definitely the one that inspires the most discussion, because it's the weirdest one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, at times it's, like, a difficult one, too. It's, like, one of the few that makes you kind of think with the medium of film in what it's doing, right? Like, the way it uses film language definitely sets up the dreamlike state uh, of the piece, and, you know, at times I wasn't even sure, like you said, what decade we're in, what era this is. Is, she, is this woman alive? Is she dead? Is Shia a ghost from this hotel or something? You know, he, <laughs> his performance is amazing. I mean, like, it just feels like this is the one where everyone sort of wanted to really push and go outside of their boundaries and that's very interesting about the director about how you know the man who intended to direct this has passed away and that this one seems to deal with themes about the afterlife and death and the past and stuff and and it also seems like the director who took on the piece tried to just really stay true to what the original intent was and I think that's where the confidence of it comes from even though it's sort of confusing like you say it's very sort of it's like beautiful and yeah and it does sort of provoke conversation and everything else is so all the other stories are very much get what they're going for I feel and then this is the one where you're just kind of left going huh what was that about like 
yeah, let's like get a little deeper into this one. But I mean, Shia in that in this is doing the most anybody in this entire movie is doing, if you ask me. The full-on thick accent, the gimpy leg that he's doing. I, I didn't even know it was him until the second flight of stairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like it, I, and I jumped up and I was like, "Oh, he's Shia. There, there he is." This is singularly different. It's singularly like I don't, I don't know. I mean, we we just recorded three Zack attacks in a row, which will have come out, you know, a month and a half ago. By the time this one comes out, we're talking about how like Zeph can never do accents really, but here, like Shia, just feels like he's from like they never really give him a country of origin, but he feels authentic. He feels mm-hmm. real in a way that like Zac Efron doesn't. And I know there's a, like a different caliber of acting going on there. To see somebody just, like, I don't know how how far in advance the script was written, but really only having, you know, 24 hours to shoot, the way that he's able to, like, figure out who this guy is, the perfect servant, sort of, like, you can just kind of perform miracles in terms of, like, finding violets or closing the window, you know, whatever it is, like, he's able to get inside this character's mind in a way that, like, you know, sorry, Zeph, but, like, Zac Efron can't really do. Like, it just, for, like, such a bite-sized role that, you know, he was, you know, maybe including, like, rehearsals maybe like a week of his life you know like it's and it just to, to be able to sort of have this unique character it's it's special yeah i i think you nailed it when you said character right i mean it reminded me a lot of nymphomaniac where we were like you know after a while we didn't even think of him as shia he's just the character we played you know and and that accent worked out really well for him too and i just think that he's capable of making choices decisions and actually sticking to them with this with the the commitment to the leg bit right but Mm -hmm. not only that not just like most people i feel would be sort of content like just just acting with with the gimp leg but he's like no on top of that we're gonna have the thick accent as well you know and then on top of that you know he plays it the way he plays it he's so kind and gentle and everything you know who knows if that was in the script I, i don't know i'm just saying i see someone who is made up his mind following through with you know a certain way he's going to play it and it's paying off for me like again like I just after I was like oh he they're shy in this movie and then after that I kind of just fell into trying to figure out this character and I almost didn't see Shia past that and just wanted to understand you know the weirdness that was going on well I think he decided or realized or whatever that like this is a guy who's who like life has just beaten him down and broken him down and you know it's not only bad enough that he has like this limp it seems like he can't stand up straight but then he just like gets a bloody nose and like everything is just like nothing goes well for him the only good things that in like in his life are like the things that he's able to do for other people and i feel like mm. i don't know if there's those are decisions he made because i'm sure like the you know the physical maladies and everything were things that were written in the script i can feel like he's like i i get this guy and i'm just gonna go with it there's the one line that julie christie looks at him and she just says no one's so young should be so sad and that's just kind of heartbreaking like he is in this movie, like, he looks like he's someone shy as age, he's not playing older or younger, so he's probably somebody, you know, 25-ish, and he's just, like, content to be sad and alone and broken. Yeah, and, and I just think it's great, like, the way the character that's just, like, expresses nothing but kindness, and he's a servant, and I was actually wondering if he and John Hurt were the same character at the end in some weird way. That's why I thought maybe they were ghosts or something. I, I wasn't sure. Well, because the visual
visual is like he sort of walks into this bright light, and I just wrote down, I'm like, oh, is he walking into heaven? And then, like, you see him, you don't only really see him, but like, he sort of sense that he falls, and she looks over the edge, and he's dead. And then the guy kind of, like, floats in from above. They don't have the same character name. John Hurt, I think, is just called Bellhop, and Shia's called Jacob or something. There's no reason for them not to be the same character. Like, I think, yeah. but also, like, does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think as much as anything else, because the, the lady is supposed to be like an opera singer who won't sing anymore and hasn't sung in years and she's the only resident of this hotel or I thought maybe it was even an apartment building at some point and that she was moving in it's all very strange so I don't even know I think it's but I like that about it because like I said earlier it's the only one that lets you sort of infer what you will right like it's like you fill in the blanks for yourself everything else in this movie is so obvious and some in a good way and some in a bad way yeah this one just stands apart very strongly almost in a sense that like maybe it doesn't belong in this movie I was starting to think yeah maybe it belongs somewhere else separate I mean I'm glad it's here it's just I want more stories like it I feel like they were trying to get weird with a couple of the other ones in ways that just didn't pay off like the one with the painter who wanted to paint the Chinese girl yeah the the herbalist and then she finally agrees like yeah I'll get my portrait painted and then shows up and he's dead yeah it's like okay like what? (laughs) I understand you want to say something there, but I'm not sure like you really pulled it off. And if that was more dreamy and weirder and bizarre like this one, I think it would have worked better. And I think a few of the other ones could have pushed it further than they did. So by my count, there's, I think, maybe 11 segments. I'm not sure. There's only like a couple I took notes on, but I named each one sort of in a way. Like the first one is Everyone's a Liar and a Thief. Let's watch Ocean's Eleven instead. (laughs) I don't know how you're going to have Andy Garcia in a short film about like pickpockets and sort of like it's got like a Vegasy vibe you know like I don't know yeah but what's with Hayden Christensen don't know and Rachel Bilson like everybody in all these scenes is somebody you know like they're all people that you know and Hayden Christensen I guess is good like this was before Outcast, right I mean after episode three right yeah yeah I'm kind of surprised how well he was doing in this to be quite honest with you I, I was pretty shocked segment two our religions aren't they nutty maybe we should get married and that's about the diamonds (laughs) yes then there's the interstitial i just called actors in cars with bradley cooper like sort of comedians in cars Mm -hmm. getting coffee because he's just always getting in the cars with people like throughout this entire movie then to come back later but we'll get to that segment three orlando bloom is so charming even though he's frumpy amy (laughs) he's just this guy who can't do anything right and sort of falls in love with christina ricci over the phone and she shows up and like they're gonna get married or something who knows well i kind of i kind of like that when he's trying to score an anime film and she's like harping it like you got to get this done and get this done and the director wants him to read a bunch of dostoevsky or a lot of these big thick russian novels and he can't do it and so she's like i'll read them to you and and i'll tell them what they're about yeah it's just like the it's like the longest meet cute in the world right that's the first one i liked but compared to the ones that are coming later i didn't like it as much like it just sort of like a i just like the idea of like you know somebody i sort of wish we didn't see christina Ricci the entire time like i guess yes i guess the fact that she shows up just at the very end is fine i kind of just like the idea of her just on the phone the entire time Mm -hmm. yeah me too second four when sharing a flame is more intimate than sex apparently oh i did not Ethan Hawke gotta give it a rest in this segment I was trying to figure out I'm like who what kind of woman lets someone talk to them like this and she's like oh I'm a hooker I'm like oh okay I get it that makes sense oh yeah I was not fooled at the, uh, the I like I totally called that she was the hooker but Ethan Hawke's like 
monologue or whatever he's his spiel and stuff like i just could not believe any a word of that stuff it just to me i was like what is he doing in this that's why i felt like oh if only it was some unknown actor that like maybe had you know an italian accent or someone you know someone that a director brought over from overseas or something then i feel like maybe it would have been a little more convincing segment five an awkward virgin gets lied to by a pharmacist <laughs> and this is the best one because what I yeah. what I think is so funny is that like there's the reveal at the end that Olivia Thurlby, aka the girl from Juno and Dread, wasn't actually handicapped that she was just doing it for as like a performance art piece or whatever. Oh, she's a method actor. Yeah, to get into part right, twenty hours a day in the wheelchair. Yeah, but speaking of method, Shia is our method boy, and yeah. it's funny how he kind of mentioned you never hear about female method actors and I think we brought that up briefly last episode and now that's so funny that when James Conn is like ah my daughter's a method actress I was like hey there are girl method actresses yeah. even if they're fictional and in, in this movie and this one's delightful and what I think is funny is that obviously Blake Lively is gorgeous but like the whole movie treats her like this distant like consolation prize but like Olivia mm-hmm. Thorby is like gorgeous like she, like I don't yeah. know and he's like oh yeah she's Make-A-Wish like oh no like Blake Lively should look at her and be like oh wow like you got her last minute like okay cool like good for you dude it's just like this hideous girl in a wheelchair that like can't really dance like it's just I'm like oh god like this is so weird yeah when she said make a wish that hooked me I was like oh my god this girl's amazing <laughs> like just the, the idea of this character I, that's why at the end it was kind of not bum but I thought it was a nice twist but I was like ah they didn't need to go to the point where she gets out of the wheelchair you know what I'm saying like he gets laid he has a great time he's, he's kind of down with her anyway to, to begin with so I oh, it doesn't ruin it for me by any means but I just like after she said that at the dance I was like oh my god anywhere <laughs> this anywhere this goes it's already got me <laughs> segment six finally we're ready for a full Bradley Cooper inner monologue. Mm-hmm. We talked about that one already. Then segment seven, I said it's time for Shia. Segment eight is when racial profiling leads to false claims of manihood. And this is the Natalie Portman one where they just see like a brown guy and they're like, oh, you're a manny. Like, you're so good at with the daughter, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, oh, okay, like, I get. It's just weird. Like, I like the thing. I like it's self-contained, like you're saying, but like, I don't know what the, the point of it is. I kind of liked it. I just, I, I almost felt like that one line or that one little exchange was sort of not necessary. I did. I had no doubt that they were father and daughter when they're sort of playing by the fountain and the two upper crust ladies are like, oh, you're, you know, you're so good with her. Like, they, they, like don't know or wouldn't assume that he's the father and stuff. That did kind of throw me, but maybe they're just trying to make that point of... Um, bigotry and wealth and whatever you know that they just i don't know maybe that's all they're trying to say is but uh, yeah i still thought it was well done directing pets and children are the hardest thing to do and i feel like natalie portman got a really great performance out of that little girl yeah um she felt totally natural to me and everything segment nine the one where chinese stuff happens and that's the one that you talked about before where the guy she wants to get painted or whatever and that just i don't really know what's going on in that segment i don't either he's just obsessed with that girl and dies segment 10 i wrote in all capital letters radiohead and robin wright what else is there to life like this is the one where she and chris cooper outside and like you know Mm -hmm. having sex with a complete stranger and turns out that they're actually married and they're on their anniversary dinner or whatever i like that and then they start playing a radiohead song i was just like this is perfect like i I sort of want to watch that again remembering now the twist you know what i mean like that they're actually married I think that that's one yeah. that works better a second time through. But I did like that more than a lot of the rest of them, even as I was watching the first time. Okay, because I liked the first half, and then 
I missed the twist almost until it was like almost too late for it to register when they are sitting together. I was like, oh, they're on a date. She's cheating on her. And then they point to the like, what they literally like tap their wedding rings together or something, you know? And I was like, oh man, like again, I kind of just felt like they pulled their punch again with that one a little bit. And if they weren't married and she ended by cheating on her husband that we never see maybe it would have just been i don't know a little more interesting but i i I could i see where you're coming from for sure like it has like a big nice beginning middle and end to it and everything yeah i got a little lost there when they cut to the inside of the restaurant i I definitely did not pick up that it was a husband wife until right there at the end yeah i feel like that one though and the wheelchair thing like i think your criticisms are fair but i also feel like just because the way that the the short films are laid out that they're sort of like well how can we end it like how can we put a bow on this? That's just the way that this sort of has like a clean ending. That like a sort of yeah. a joke ending in the Brett Ratner one. And then in this one, it's just like a, oh, like we actually, we don't need to see the follow through because we know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's able to be more self-contained because they're not talking about like four people. It's only just the two of them talking about each other. Yeah, yeah. And I think also these want to end for the most part on a high note too, except for Shia dying, falling out of a window. For the most part, a lot of these are, you know, kind of uplifting in a way. I mean, even the one I like the least, the you know, the Bradley Cooper meeting the girl at the bar, and even that had kind of a nice ending to it, though, where he is going to get into a cab to leave right when she shows up, and then she gets in the cab with him, and they go off together. You know, yeah. so like everything is just trying to turn it on its head right there at the very end. Maybe that because there's so many segments and they're all doing that, that I just kind of felt yeah. again a little bombarded with, with it was like, oh, another twist and another twist. Yeah, maybe. And then the last one is just the two old people I said, it's clear why old men and women murder each other now. And that's the like, <laughs> like back, you know, before before mm-hmm. Wall Street. Yeah, yep. and Cloris Leachman. Good old Cloris Leachman. They need to do a whole movie of this these two people that's all i was thinking oh god it's kind it's kind of the best and the worst like it's (laughs) so annoying but also so like wonderful i don't know i feel like there's a degree to which this could work we're definitely getting the extreme of their relationship i mean it's it's their anniversary so they're going to coney island for the day and it's just them bickering with each other as they get there but they're they're the most adorable little old people so (laughs) i would just love to see them traversing new york city for an hour and a half trying to do the rest of their anniversary go to lunch and tavern on the green and then go to dinner somewhere and see a show and maybe almost get mugged or something, you know? Like, yeah. I would be down for that. I would be too. And I think that's the last one. That's the last segment, right? I think, I mean, there's maybe some mm-hmm. that like weave so. back and forth, but that's pretty much it. The only thing I wanted to point out was that John Hurt is in the next episode we're doing. He's also in Indiana Jones, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So that's two Shia movies in a row where it's him. I mean, I, he maybe is the same guy as Shia in this. I don't know. They're <laughs> in the same segment, but they don't even act next to each other. So yeah, uh, but it's two movies in a row where they're together. So cool. Good for that. Nice. Yeah, I wonder. I wondered that now, like if they even met on this set or something, like, or you know, like the well, India had come before this movie, but that still, I wonder. That's an interesting connection. I think that's all my notes for this one. Do you have any other thoughts about either the Shia one or the movie or anything else? Uh, no, not so much. I, I think I'm definitely gonna go check out the the Paris one. I might stop there. We'll see how that goes. I don't. Right now, it's not. I'm not dying to see Rio. I love you or Berlin. I love you or whatever else. You know, Moscow, wherever they go. <laughs> but I'll check out the Paris ones and 
ones that came first, and we'll see where we go from there. I would say, like, this movie, I you know, skip around, I'd say, and check out the short stories one by one, maybe. It might even be better than to just sit down and watch all this at once, in a way. I don't know. I flip around, you know? I don't know. Like, if these if these are available, like, on YouTube, it might be a better way to watch them than yeah. actually buying the disc or whatever. I agree. That's, that's the weird thing. It's like, I almost wish that they were just short stories, because then you could do that, you know? Like, you could just check out one or two and then turn the disc off and come back and check out three one day you know and just yep. at your leisure but instead we got stupid Bradley Cooper poking his head in every like <laughs> 15 minutes just to be like hey remember this is like a through line this is a narrative so for all things all his movies you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub you can see what we're doing next see what's come before we're doing one a day for the next I think we've still got another like two and a half weeks after this and there's like 27 episodes total and this is the 10th one so we're more than a third of the way through but there's still plenty of Shia left and a lot of weird things that we don't know about so you know there's a couple known things coming up in the near future but there's more that we don't know coming up than we have been through already so stay tuned for the mystery of Shia. I'm Joey Lewandowski and I'm Mike Manzi and we'll see you next time on All His Movies. I've got it.